1: fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com hello everybody
2: and welcome to the Celtic now and for our podcast my name is Ryan Clifford joining me in the podcast this week once again is co-host Robert Boyle. boy Robert how's things mate all good Ryan thanks and obviously, uh, we've got a guest on the podcast this week Olympian, Commonwealth Game, Athletics, Hammer thrower, British champion, Chris Bennett. Chris, how's things, mate?
3: Very good, mate. It might be the first time I've ever had a, the Union Jack on a Celtic podcast, but we'll go with it. <laughs>
2: we'll go with that one. Uh, I, I think it's a wee exception, mate. Um, She's a good guy in that, so we'll be all right. Um, obviously, Chris, it's, it's a bit of a tough piece at the moment. Um, obviously, we the pandemic and obviously yourself with, uh, with your athletics and stuff, how's, how's lockdown impacted your, your like the training regime and your events and getting facilities to train and keep yourself fit?
3: So I think it's, it's quite ironic that we're, we're recording this a year since we actually went into lockdown. So um, the a year has been a, a really long time for me um, in sport. Uh, this time last year, I didn't really know what I was doing, what was happening where I was really getting money from as well, because like I'm usually in schools, doing sessions, doing school visits, paid quite well for it. And I was told I was not getting any more work. I couldn't go to schools. They couldn't pay me what I owe me. So I ended up taking a full time job with Tesco. So I'm delivering, I was delivering shopping for Tesco for three months. Um, other supermarkets are available if you want to go down that route as well. But um, yeah, so it was it was kind of tricky for me. And then I did that for three three months full time was kind of falling out of love with the sport, so decided I was going to go back into full-time training. So I went part-time with them. And then ever since September, I've been back in full-time training um, and I've not missed a day's training. So we've been fortunate enough that we're granted elite athlete status under the, the government rules. Um, so gym, my gym's still been open. I've got a set of keys to the place I train. I've still been able to throw. Yeah, I've not really had any um, changes to to my training at the minute. Um there's obviously a lot less access to physio and different services like that, but it's been it's been quite refreshing because it, it makes you find out what you actually need in training. So it's been yeah, it's been good. Um, and I'm hopefully I've started competing already. Got a good start to the season, so I've got a lot of quite a few comps coming up because we're in that elite status. We mm-hmm. we kind of know what's going on. We can we can travel freely. We can um, we get tested twice a weekly. We've got to submit those results. So yeah, it's it's good. I'm quite hopeful for the summer, whereas this time last year I didn't really kinda of know what was going on. So yeah, it's quite exciting times. That's actually it's quite refreshing to hear that you're still
2: be able to kinda of live a life in a way. Um that you're still competing at the sport you love. And ideally as well, you're you're keeping yourself healthy and your mind healthy, but keeping yourself busy during
3: this pandemic. Yeah, I mean it's it's lockdown's probably been one of the best things that happened to me because it gave me a real idea of what I wanted to do in the sport and I had to make choices about what I needed and what I didn't need. Um, it was good because it, uh, I've got to learn to face problems um, kind of face on because previously I buried my head in the sand where it's just a case of, do you know what, you've got no money coming I in, mean, you need to survive, get a job. And cool. it takes you into the big, the big real, bad, big, bad world and, and what you've got to actually do to survive. And you see the other side of the coin and I looked at it and I go, so oh, I'm actually in quite a privileged position. I, I had a job at the time. I could still exercise. I could still move pretty freely and and got out and got my daily exercise. So it made me thankful for the things that I had um, to then be able to go back into full-time training and, and still get, use the gym. And I mean, I don't see it as it is a, a privilege for me, but it's at the end of the day, it's my job. So I'm still getting to do the job that I love. I'm still getting to do the sport that I love without any interference, and I'm quite thankful for that at the minute. It's actually quite refreshing as I say, Robert, that it's.
2: I know a, a few a few others are having a bad time at the moment, but it's good to hear that somebody's actually having a bit of success, no just all doom and gloom, and it's good to see Chris still thriving under the
0: conditions at the moment. What I really impressed with Chris there was what he was saying is he didn't get to train and he couldn't earn money. And just refreshing to hear a guy, an athlete, which had so many highs and been at so many tournaments that didn't think no saying this in a bad way, Chris, but above yourself to go, I better go out there and make a living. And just a humble guy would go and do a job in Tesco because I think sometimes you get people that think they're above that status in life. And I don't exactly. mean that bad way, Chris. I no, just but mean it's a, oh, hear that. Is,
3: it's like do you know at the end of the day, I am very fortunate to have been in a position where I've been able to train full time for the past seven, eight years. Now that's a privilege for me, and I often think elite sportsmen take that for granted and they see it as a God-given right and it's not It's I have, fortunate enough that I have had people who have been kind to me with employment, have given me opportunities to go and earn money on the side while still doing my sport another, I think often you see that and especially footballers and rugby players, that's gone from, from their perspective they just see themselves as, oh do you know what, someone should pay me to do this, mm-hmm. the world owes you nothing at the end of the day, like the sport owes me nothing it owes me nothing so it's my my job if if I can't do what I I have to just put my big boy pants on and and just face up to it like it will come back Mm -hmm. but there's no point in sitting moaning on the couch or moaning to other people about it because it ain't going to change anything and that's the hard fact of it no one else is going to do these things for me so I had to do it for myself and I remember going into my boss at Tesco and uh, I I put my CV in and she phoned me back twenty minutes later. She's like, "Can you come in for an interview?" I said, "Yeah, no worries at all." So I sat down, and she said, uh, "So what do you do? You're a taxi driver, bus driver, you know? What do you do?" And I said, oh, "I'm a full-time athlete." And she's like, "All right." Like she just kind of looked at me and just said, "Yeah, cool." And it, it, I don't think it really hit home to her until I was I did some stuff on the radio, and I said I'd been working like 45, 47 hours that week. She says, "Oh, you're you is as really as good as you are at the sport." I says, "Yeah, I'm not going to bullshit you. I'm not mm-hmm. going to come in and say I'm something I'm not. This is what I am, and I'm Olympian, and and I've earned that right." But at the time, I needed that job. And that's what I had to do for three months. Um, I mean, I was fortunate that I got to go part-time with that. And I've still worked part-time for them. I still do five nights mm. a week. So I still train during the day. like Monday, Tuesday, my day's off. So I do my double days on there. And then on a, a Wednesday, Friday, and a Saturday, I train maybe like half-11, to so four o'clock in the afternoon. And then I come home, get some food, and go straight to work until other people shopping between 7-11. And that's just what I had to do to survive. And it's about Surviving and about being able to still train. Um, I was fortunate I could still do that, but I just had to do it. You know what I mean? And and, I, and there's people, I mean, those people dying, there's people losing their jobs. And I was fortunate enough I had a job I could exercise, I could do a sport I was loved. So who have I? Who am I to moan about it? Mm-hmm. I'm very privileged. I'm very very privileged, and, I, and I, I would never ever take that for granted. Um, I was quite fortunate with that. So yeah, you, it was good for me.
2: You've seen ways, well. You've kind of, you kind of used your, yeah. Your... Your head heading away go right. I can't do my training, I need to get a job quick and you've acted quickly. But some people might, because of the situation, they went, Ah, my job will come back, I'll, I'll, I'll just dilly dally, I'll see if it's there. But I think these days, more people are starting to be like yourself and going, No, I need to go there, I need to work, I need to provide, I need to put food on the table, I need to survive. And I think as well, with yourself being an athlete as well, you can still train. It's it's maybe keeping you mentally, mentally fine and, and ticking because you can go out and think, Right. Up, routine, job, training, you, you keep yourself busy all the time?
3: Well, that was the first thing with me for the first couple of weeks of the pandemic. No one really knew what was going on. We mm. had pubs shut, we had clubs shut, we had businesses shut. So everyone's just going to like, am I going to have a job? Am I going to have this? So you find yourself sitting binge watching TV series and sitting watching TV. And you're up to four, five o'clock in the morning, not really doing anything. Facilities are closed, so you can't train. You're like, well, what am I really doing here? So you, I had to get a routine right away. So I went to Tesco and I said, I need a job. They gave me a job and they said, oh, do you want to know know what the the shifts are? I was like, no, because I want a routine. So I knew what days I was working. Mm -hmm. I was working uh, 10-hour shifts on a Tuesday, Wednesday, um, Thursday. I knew I couldn't train those days. I had a Friday back shift, a Saturday off, Sunday back shift, Monday off. So I knew I could train Friday, Saturday, Monday. And then eventually I actually stopped training on the the Friday and I was just doing Saturday, Monday. So I was was training twice a week, but they still gave me that routine. I could still Mm -hmm. keep my hand in it. But at the time, I was probably way out of shape. I was overweight, and kind of was kind of losing my way with the sport. So lockdown gave me that focus and that routine that I seen mm-hmm. what normal life is, and I don't and and I wouldn't ever consider being an elite athlete as a normal mm-hmm. life
1: because
3: mm-hmm. we we get to go to go different countries, we get to do something we love, and, and you know things like that. So I seen what normal life was like, and I was like, I do not want to be stuck mm-hmm. in a job where I have this routine and I can't train. So that was the point. I went, you know what? I still want to do the sport okay, what do I need to do? I need to drop hours on Tesco. They were fortunate enough to me. I said to them, I want to go part-time. They said, cool, when do you want to go part-time? I was like, uh, as soon as possible. They're like, okay, start part-time next week. So I was fortunate that they still valued me as an employee to be able to do that. And if the Olympics had happened last year, would I have qualified? Probably not, because I was overweight and I was a fat shit. Let's not be a bit this year. I was t- I was 24 and a half stone, strong as an ox, but I couldn't move. So it gave me that focus. To lose the weight, get back into shape, and give me that extra year to prepare for it. So, it's making it's making the best of what you've got. And you see people and athletes moaning, and they always want something to do it for them, someone else to do it for them, or someone else to hand it to them on the plate. It's like, well, no. What else? What have you done to make it happen? But what, what have you done to make mm-hmm. like? So it's like the thing with the, with the footballers were off for like two, three months, and they're all moaning about coming back into pre season. It's like, well, what have you done during that two, three months off? Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? What have you done to do it? And it's, it's about taking ownership and taking self responsibility of it. it. May not be your fault it's your responsibility, something I use a lot so the thing I've likened to Celtic this year is Covid is not their fault going to Dubai and Julian getting uh, Covid is not their fault but it's their responsibility to take action from it it's their responsibility to deal with it at the end of the day and they haven't dealt with it properly
0: It's refreshing Chris just to hear your side of the story on how you used Covid to focus again and get yourself back into sports and the determination, really, to look at yourself and get back into how you could change things and make things right. And I don't know if it's just in football, but a lot of people come back. No mention names, overweight, no focused. And I think it's refreshing to hear for an athlete that you had the opposite for certain people. Yeah, probably in football game.
3: I mean, I mean, I think we know the football you're talking about and this footballer. Uh, broke lockdown rules and had parties at his house and, and it's always it's always poor me, poor me, poor me. It's like, well, it ain't your fault but it's your responsibility. Now, I haven't always been like this. I haven't always been like this. I was very much like this until 2018. I had a massive mental breakdown after Commonwealth Games, kind of fell out of love with the sport and yeah, I was playing at it. I was I was deciding if it was for me. I was eating and drinking what I wanted. I was still training. I was probably kicking myself on quite a bit but at the end of the day, I look back and that's two years wasted in my career. So, I would like to think when that individual sits down, they can look back and go, do you know what? I could have been, is, is playing for Celtic as good as I could be? Now, as a fan, you always want to play for Celtic, but I, I have no problems with someone wanting to bit. So, like, for instance, I'll give you an example, Kieran Tierney. Kieran Tierney's been called the biggest rat since Brendan Rodgers to leave Celtic. Kieran Tierney, I have no problem with Kieran Tierney leaving. He wants to better himself. He's got life-changing money. He's playing in a better league against better players and he's thriving under it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. There's, there can be no room. For sentiment in the elite sport because you want to be the best that you can be is that individual and are the footballers at Celtic trying to be the best that they can be? Not in my eyes
2: No it's definitely something I think it's as refreshing here Chris because obviously at Celtic um, things have happened this season, players have maybe no back in certain fitness um, but obviously because you class yourself obviously as an an elite athlete, and your mind is always set to to be fit, to eat better, to train harder, perform form harder. But obviously, you, you mentioned that mentally you had a wee bit of can a kind of breakdown, and that maybe, and then when you can back out, of that you realise like maybe how maybe how lucky and how determined you are to keep kicking on and keep doing well in
3: the sport. Yeah, correct, and and I think the big difference between. Me and footballers and other athletes and footballers is we don't have money. We don't get paid mm. the massive money that they do. Now, Celtic footballers who turn up week in, week out, if they win, lose or draw, they are still paid their 10, 15, 20 grand a week. So do they really care as as, as footballers whether they get success or not? I don't know. I can't speak for them. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for them, but they're still getting their money every week. We as fans are not as uh, sorry footballers don't appreciate what we go through as fans. But at the end of the day, it goes back to that thing. It's not your fault. It's your responsibility to sit up and take action, and that goes from everyone at the football club to take ownership of their own their own thing. You know, and I'll speak about it a little bit later on. I, I had no mm-hmm. problems with them going to Dubai, but I had a problem with what they were doing in Dubai. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. as a as a sportsman, I can I can see why you would want to go away and train in better environments and why you would want to go away and go, and use a winning formula. Because let's not, let's not I'll, I'll speak about it now, but they, you look at it and you go, every year under Brendan Rodgers, we went to Dubai and we kicked on. That was the yeah. model of success. So as an athlete, you want to keep that routine. You go away, you get the break, you get the refresh, you yeah. come back and you kick on. The first day you're sitting and you've got a manager there who speaks about he needs a change of mentality. Speaks about how players don't want to be there. Speaks about creating a different environment. The first thing you do is you give an a- you give athletes a day off to sit by the pool and drink beers. What does that say about the mentality?
2: See, because it's, it's probably different because obviously I played football myself and Robert played football. But when you're an elite athlete like yourself, you kind of do think different about uh, sport and exercise. And yeah. you you see the, us fans, we're just saying it morally, but when you're in your sport and as well, and, and that kind of bubble as, 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 a, as a people in the limelight, like you see it from the sport side it and the mentality side, it and you know it's wrong. If he's coming saying that, surely him, John Kennedy, or whoever else, the board, whatever, they're the ones who go to change the mentality. The players can change it, but you need to implement
3: their changes. Correct. So there is one person at the top who dictates the mentality, dictates the drive, and that is the manager. He is the man at the top and he dictates everything. So to me, I look back at it and if I go, right, I've got a training camp and I'm going to, let's say, Tenerife. Because I was meant to go to Tenerife in January. I would have yeah. still went had it not been cancelled by the Spanish government. That was the only reason I didn't go. So I did not have any qualms about going away and travelling mm-hmm. and doing this. But So he's given them a day off. On the first day of the training camp, fair enough, they travelled, but they've just been we've just been pumped off arrivals. So, we've just lost the league effectively. We were what 13 or 15 points behind the league. The first thing you do is you give them a day off in Dubai by this by the pool, and you've got people sitting at the Tuesday, having hot in a hot tub, having pints, eating what they wanted. So there's people dying at home, and that and that's not even committed to the question yet because we're still questioning the mentality, as I suppose. Mm-hmm. If I did that. I would be crucified by my coach. I would mm. absolutely be crucified. I'd be crucified by the governing body that are paying for me to go there. You
2: might like, need even be right. right. a... <laughs> you might you be have a full enemy. You might be,
3: totally. Exactly. Like, complete Like, I just don't... I don't get it, man. I don't get it. So, I think the board should have acted quicker and got rid of them. Like, I wanted rid of them after the old... Uh, the first Rangers game. Mm-hmm. And um, they stuck with them. Now, why they stuck with them, I don't know. But it's done now and ten and old is gone. But it's part of life. You just you've got just got to go on with it.
2: But as I say, uh, we're all going to Celtic a bit better back to onto yourself, Chris. Um early days when you were younger, uh, growing up, was athletics always in your mind or was was it as like most us young guys at the time? Football, Celtic, was that did you ever play football or was athletics yeah, your main so thing?
3: I was I'm not going to lie. I was the, the fat kid in school. I was. I wasn't really athletic. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. Um, I was quite sporty though. I had a really pushy mum who just wanted me to do everything. Um, so I did like football, tennis, and rugby. I did everything at school. And and my first experience of sport, like playing competitively, was playing for the school team. And I played in goals because I couldn't. I, I wasn't a very good out. So I could kind of move about in goals. I was bigger than everyone else. I wasn't afraid. I would slide to people's feet. And that was my first experience of competitive sport. But then I actually went into to rugby for four years. Um and I come I come for a council house in, in Bladardi, just, just no far from jump chat Um my dad was on incapacity benefits, my mum worked three jobs to keep me in sport. So we didn't come for a well-off background. I still live in a council house and I'm not afraid to say it. Like I'm just I'm I'm very proud of where I came from and very proud of my roots. Um I didn't fit in this in the in the demographic of rugby. Rugby is a very private school, very money-orientated sport and coming for that, coming for the background, I, I didn't fit in at all, mm-hmm. I didn't fit in at all, so my mate did athletics and he said, how do you fancy coming down and it was just around the time of the Manchester Commonwealth Games in 2002 and we did laps of the track and I fucking hated it man, I was blown at my arse as I was going on the track, I couldn't have run the run to myself, I said to my mum, I'm not coming back, so yeah, she's like, no, you're going back, so I tried, I tried shot Was was okay at it, tried discus. Javelin wasn't very good at it. I tried hammer, but and I absolutely loved it at the time. And I fitted into athletics because most of the most of the people that did athletics were were all the wee bums, and and I fitted in with that, and that's how I, I enjoyed it as well. Um, so I started get, getting more and more into my athletics. Kind of trained two nights a week. Was getting medals at, at, at sport and, and, and county level, and kind of national level. And then I got to the age of um, nineteen, and I kind of been training two three nights a week. Kind of realised that I had something for all the sport. Um, but as you get to nineteen, you discover new things. You discover women. You discover drinking. You discover all these different things. And, and I, t- I took a four-week hiatus with the sport, and I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And I, I remember going to I went to Cardiff for my twentieth birthday and a pure random night out. I don't know why I went to Cardiff. Um, probably chasing women, that sort of thing. So, but it was like three years I went down to Cardiff, and then I, but I taken four weeks off the sport. And my coach was like, "What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And you could have." The, this was just before Daily Calmworth Games, and he's like, you, you could go to Delhi Calmworth Games, and you're just sitting f- pissing it all away, and that really hit home. And I got it got to the, got to the stage. I missed out in Daily by a meter and a half, but the qualification for Glasgow opened up a couple of years after it, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to get to Glasgow Calmworth Games. So I would qualified for Glasgow in, in 2012, and um, I had a kind of tough year in 2012. My dad was 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 dying, and we didn't we didn't really know at the time. Um, he died in the in the August, and I was injured that year, so I kind of did like, didn't really know what I was doing with the sport, um, whether I wanted to do it. And then I, I kind of had three four months off, and it was it was just on nights out, just you know, doing the usual, it bevying and and not really caring what you were doing for sport. But I got back I got back into sport, and I was like myself in this in really good shape. And then I lost my coach in the April of the twenty thirteen, so like that's like nine months I've lost two of the most influential people in my life. So decided. I was going to Glasgow and I was going to win a medal and I was going to put all my wrongs right and I, I, I imagined winning Glasgow before I'd even done the competition and I was out mass after the final I finished dead last and I left the stadium that night like, and I was in floods of tears and like it was an amazing experience of being in Glasgow and you got so many people watching you and kind of like it was my first kind of big competition with social you do it in your home city social media blows up everybody mm-hmm. wants a party everybody wants you to do something like that and like, people are messaging for tickets and whatnot and it was it was just overwhelming like and I decided that I was never going to feel like that ever again in sport so used it to my advantage eventually qualified for 2016 16 Olympics I've got the dug kind of underneath the table sniffing for something so if the camera starts moving it's just my dog. Um, it's yeah so, so spent, they spent the whole year in 2016 telling me I wasn't going to the Olympics and I was fine with that like I was okay I was like cool I'm not going to go to the Olympics and then they told me three weeks beforehand I was going to Rio and I was like oh, fuck, I need to change my plans here. I need to completely change what I'm doing. So, yeah, I, and and I'd suffered in sport from overachieving. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd achieved everything I wanted in sport and more. And that was it. I was co- I was playing at it for two three years. And the big thing for Gold Coast was always I was going to go there and I was going to right my wrong and I was going to win a medal and I was in the shape of my life. And, and I thought and immediately the first thing I thought was like, I can't do what I did in Glasgow. And immediately when you think don't do something, you automatically do it. Mm-hmm. So it was hard for me. It was really hard. And I had a massive mental breakdown um, after it. And really, really struggled with my mental health and, and whatnot. And, and like I said, I, I kind of fell out of love with the sport for a couple of years. And didn't really know where I was going to go. Um, so it was tough. But now I find myself sitting here after a lockdown and the year. After lockdown, it's been great. You know, I, I enjoy myself. I enjoy my own. I'm comfortable Is that who I am as a person. And I'm comfortable with what I do in sport. So... It's been a kind of whirlwind 31 years of my life, but I'm not done with the sport yet. And, and I, I fear the day that I've got to go out into the big, bad world and get a real-life job because I'm, I'm loving life at the minute. Because, I, I, again, Chris, I saw it your dad passing to me and um, your coach,
2: cats. As Especially especially in normal life, it's hard, but see, when you, maybe you're, you're an athlete and having to deal with that and train and go for Olympics and form of games, it must be really hard to keep yourself focused. And as she says... No go away for the smoking completely because you, you see it in football terms when guys get released or something happens or younger, they just give up football and they don't go back. So for yourself to yeah. continue to power on and and actually think, you know what, I'm gonna maybe in, in your head you're thinking I'm gonna make my dad proud, make my, my old coach proud, I'm gonna make myself proud and just continue to plod away, keep keep yourself basically keep going and keep striving for better things. I think it's, it's really, really it's, it maybe shows you maybe how mentally strong you are, maybe you don't maybe think you are, but it shows you maybe how mentally strong you are, because yeah. you, you, you're keeping going and you're in the back of your mind, you're going, right, I'm bloody for I'm going to for him. You keep thinking and, and that's maybe be keeping you going as well as loving the sport, but it's pushing you on and pushing you on all the time. One of the big things that, that
3: I didn't do, and I, and I do now, is face is problems head on, so I didn't grieve for my, for my dad. Um, and I didn't really grieve for my coach at the time. Like we've we've worked together. We used to work out together mm-hmm. at Glasgow Life. So I'll give you an example. My dad died on the Tuesday, uh, I think seven o'clock in the morning. But at eight o'clock I was in the eminence office, and no one in the office apart from my boss Brian. Mm-hmm. My dad had died. He's like, "What the fuck are you doing here?" And I was like, "I need to just keep going. I need to keep going." And it's that focus and that drive. It's like I need mm-hmm. to keep going because I can't focus on what's just happened. Because if I do, I'll be in tears. And I, and I didn't do that for three four months. I didn't properly grieve. And when my coach died, I didn't face it head on
1: mm-hmm.
3: but I actually went to go see a psychologist after it and it was the biggest relief I'd ever done and I was I was a typical man I didn't like speaking about my feelings I always took other people's problems on I didn't need to give you my problems and the first thing I remember she said to me she's like I'm Zara why are you here and she said to me why are you here and I was like I, I sat there for half an hour and I just I was and floods of tears by the end of it and I needed it and now looking back at that at me seven, eight years ago. It's about understanding that, that men especially bottle up their feelings mm-hmm. and about actually speaking of those feelings and having that people speak about. So although you can say I was mentally strong, I was probably mentally too, mentally too strong because I, I, I wasn't confident enough to admit weakness and admit mm-hmm. it because I thought as an athlete, you can't be weak. You've got to be strong. You've got to, you know, you, you, we, use the, we use the classic phrase, man up. Well, you don't need to man up. Man, like there, There's no greater thing... That you can do is speak about your feelings mm-hmm. so my only criticism of myself when I was eight years um, eight years ago is probably I was too mentally strong I was too mentally mentally um, naive to think I could deal with those things and I couldn't and, and, and it showed itself when it came to 2014 and 2018 and I think I can kind of relate to this in Celtic a wee bit you, you look at let's, let's take Shane Duffy for example his one wish that his old man wanted was what? to play for Celtic mm-hmm. right? so he's done exactly what his old man wanted him to do and he plays the game through emotion you can't you can't do that in elite sport. You've got to play through the game through facts, figures, and results, not through emotion. When you put emotion in it, you've added another another vari- variable that's going to upset the apple cart. So that's why I, I've got a lot of sympathy with um, with some people in, in sport, especially that. And I'm always a bit more mindful about what I say in sport no. and what I say on social media about people because I realise I've had it myself. I've had people. I had a, a, a call um, somebody had a call them in the. I think it was a telegraph for the Daily Mail and they were absolutely slagging me for the way I looked because they said I had four pizzas for breakfast and and, and I'm just like, you oh, know what? I don't need that. And I, I know how I felt at the, the day, mm-hmm. so I'm always a bit more mindful about what I say about people as well. So it gives me that that flip side of it. See, that just shows you as well, I done it that there's
2: a lot of things these days can about men's mental health. And I don't think people maybe a normal guys, maybe obviously just normal, but he's an athlete, but for me and you, they might tell you to talk about it, but they don't really mention athletes a lot in this This thing. I think now they're starting to mention men and athletes a bit more, but I still don't think enough has been done because as Chris says, most of the time you, you walk into your work and you're like, I'm fine, but sometimes you like, you feel like saying I'm no fine, but as Chris says, you feel if you say something, somebody's going to say, man up, and I think that's in, in general no, just normal life, but I think maybe now it's starting to creep in a bit better, more information about it, but in, I think in the league, the kind
0: of elite sport bubble it doesn't really get the attention it deserves Robert No Ryan it's like Chris I'm really sorry to hear about your dad and your coach um, just recently three years ago I lost my dad and my sister within three months of each other um, sorry to hear that. and just what you're saying on grief I've never had time to grieve because I had two young nieces at the time through my sister and my dad passing was 13 and 16 and I had my mum. So all I ever focused on was making sure they were all right. And I don't think I've ever really... Gr- I grieved, I, of course, I understand that, but I've never really had time to grieve because I've always had to focus on looking after somebody else or being there for somebody else. And just to hear your stories, it brought back a lot of the memories of how I felt at the time and still do to this day and every day in life is I try and focus on is to impress them and make sure that they're looking down wherever they may be in this earth or heaven or whatever you like to call it and try and make them proud and do the things and try and be a father I got to my nieces and help my mum as much as I can and just to hear your story is just brings back a lot of memories Chris and thanks for that just because it does give you a wee thought back to your own life and very similar yeah. stories, but different
3: in other ways. I mean, I think I would always try and I would always I was a bit like you and I was always trying to impress. My, my one big wish was for my dad for my dad to see me at the Commonwealth Games, and that never happened. Mm-hmm. That, that that never ever happened. He never got to see me compete on the big stage, and I and that was a big. I I, I felt wrong that that didn't happen. I was like, why did that not happen? And I was very angry it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But I've got to I've got to admit that I can't change that now. I can only I've yeah. got the memories of that he was proud of me and he was I was the apple as I and and I can't I can't change that I can't change what I've had in the past. I can be thankful that uh, for the time that I've had and thankful for the influence he had on my life. And yeah, you, you you never forget them. But it gets a little bit easier as it goes on. And I, I learned to to let go of that side of me of being angry about that I didn't get to do this, I didn't get to do that. You 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 get on and you when you take emotion out of it and it was really hard for me because I, I thrive on emotion. I thrive on that underdog status of people not believing in me and or people telling me I can't do something and I want to prove them wrong and I want to hear the see the emotion when they come round and they, I do I do, do what they want. That again, when you start competing about emotion, you can use it as a driving force, but at the end of the day, you've got to want to better yourself as well. At the end of the day. And that was the big thing for me. And actually grieving was a massive release for me because I was doing things for other people. I needed to do it for myself. And I was always doing that to be my career in sport. I was too busy doing it for other people. And I realized, do I actually want to do this? And that was the big turning point for cool. me, especially as well.
2: I says Rob, even even yourself, Rob. when you mentioned that. I don't know that I happened as well, mate. So I'm sorry for that as well. But it's actually quite. I'm happy you've spoken, that, guys, because it is quite. I'm actually quite. I'm. I'm not laughing. Hearing the connection. I'm, yeah. I'm connecting these. I'm. It's. because I'm. Obviously, we some people have not had people passed away. So some people don't know what it's like. And I myself, I'm, I'm not going to mention who passed away. People I've passed away. And, I've had mental health issues myself with football injuries and and it all comes into, it all comes into the same bracket but people dying, injuries. And your mind only really is, as she says, it, your mind only really sets free when you start maybe breathing through it and maybe when you see something. Because I've seen something myself. I've had that depression. It's not all people know about it. But it's just things like that. And when me know playing football, it, it gave me a, a back step. It took me away from when I'm not here, I'm not playing football. what am i going do and that's how maybe you felt when no danger sport. but, but this the
3: thing f- is like we like the three of us right we've never met in the same room we're having this zoom conversation it right, mm-hmm. right i've spoke about something about grief right i've just met Robert, but mm-hmm. i but Roberts felt comfortable enough to tell me that right so mm-hmm. the way i like to, we, we spoke at this at the start and you said to me uh oh, if you don't want to speak about anything have it off I'm like, no, it's important that we speak about it because the more people that speak about it, normalises it and it takes the stigma away from men's mental health and men's men's body image and men th- men's things like that. And that's the the most important thing here. Like, if I'm comfortable speaking about it and, and I can use my platform, I don't have a big platform, like, but when I do have a platform, I like to think I can make a difference and not be not have other people think down on me or other people think, oh, he's just he's just trying to make himself look better. And for me, I'm always like, if I, me having the conversation with someone makes one person talk about their mental health, stop themselves from ever committing suicide, stop themselves from, you know, having an eating disorder, then that's a worthwhile conversation. And that's done more good than anything can ever do. And that's the important thing. So I think the most important thing that we've done is we've had a conversation. And the three of us, I know you, Ryan, through work, and I've only just met Robert, but we feel comfortable enough to have that conversation. And the more conversations are had, the less it's stigmatised and the more people can open about, up about it and the more people can actually normalise it and realise, oh, it's not just me that's got these thoughts, or other people have these thoughts, and because we all do. I've coached athletes that have had eating disorders, have had mental health problems, and I'm just like, look, you're not strange, you're not different to anyone else. Everybody has this. And if sports, more sports people can can, can talk about it and more sports people can normalise it, it's like sexuality in sport, and especially men's football. Now, you look at it, there's a, I think there's a there was a stat and I will feel free to be correct about it that one in ten people are, are gay. Mm-hmm. But why is there no gay footballers? Because it's still stigmatized. It's gonna be that domino effect. You have one footballer mm-hmm. coming out and, and and I am I would willing to bet my house on this, that there are gay footballers out there just now playing football.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Now the sooner we not we normalize that you know what, people are gay, get over it. Like so what who cares like, I, you, you, like, to me they're just a, a normal person they're a human being I don't care if they're gay, they're black, they're white, they're Asian they're, you know, what they do I value them as a human being and that's what we need to do in life And whether they have a mental health struggles, whether they have eating disorders whether it's sexuality issues who cares, they're a person and that's what counts the most well, I think the I we've
0: all been brought up on judging people that's how as a society, we need to change and get in with the 21st century. She says, if the guy's gay or the woman's gay, they're gay, what's that got to do with what they perform on a part and what they do in their private life? It's nothing to do with any of us. Exactly. Exactly, Chris, I agree with you on that. Again, Chris, I totally
2: agree with you. These
0: things, maybe not
2: get spoke about enough, Um, but if anybody who listens to the podcast when it's, when it's released, if we can help anybody kind of... Anybody who can, I can think back and they've been through it and they go, Oh, that kind of I have, I remember that to myself and they revert back to it. And as he says, if, if it makes somebody have a bit of peace or maybe go and get help, then it's it's it, it's a bit of a, it's, it's a, a broad thing because not a lot of people do actually say, I need help or I'm, I'm, I'm gay or this. Because, like he says, it is a bit of stigma, especially when you're in. The limelight, and because you know yourself, Robert and Crispin, you're a football player. You've got to look the part. You've got to have the haircut all the time. You've got to look good. Not even you see football players in the park; they're not even sweating. Their hair's brilliant, And the yeah. more, the more, a model, a, a, an icon, than the football players like Ronaldo. He's a football player, but he's a brand. He's a brand. No, he's not a football player. He's a brand. But I think in general, I agree with you is that Things maybe need to highlighted a bit more. Um, but obviously yourself, Chris, you mentioned the Commonwealth Games, um, and obviously at the Olympics. How is she getting called up for them? How that must have been some must have been some feeling. Um and how do you actually get called up for that? Is it a process or is it times or do you need to do
3: qualifying uh, events for yeah, it? so you have to you have to do um qualifying distances. So uh, Glasgow and, and Gold Coast was a little bit different to, to, to Rio because I kind of knew I was going to them for two years mm. out. So I knew 2012, I was going to Glasgow, and I knew in 2016, 2017, I was going to Gold Coast. So they were a lot easier to deal with. So basically, what's happens is there's a selection criteria put out, probably two, two and a half years beforehand, about a set distance that you need to throw uh, in a set time period. So it can maybe be, so for instance, Gold Coast qualification, no Gold Coast, sorry, um, Birmingham qualification, which is the next Commonwealth Games in 2022. Started on March the first, so between March the first and the middle of June next year, I have to do a set distance um, once um, in that period, and then that nominates me for selection. Now that's not a guaranteed selection; that just nominates me for selection. So that, that allows me to be discussed at the selection meeting. So then, off the back of, especially for Commonwealth Games, it goes in your ranking. So where you are ranked, your previous history, your age—there's so a whole load of factors in it. And but generally. If you hit a standard for Commonwealth Games, you'll more than likely go. Um, so Olympics was a little bit different for me because um, there was two ways I could qualify. So I could qualify on my world ranking or I could qualify on my um, the distance that I threw. So I didn't throw the distance, but I was qualified high enough up in the world rankings that I would get an invite. So I was ranked 16th in the world in, in 2016. But British Athletics, who are the, the people who select you and nominate you to the British Olympic Association, had spent the whole year saying, we will not select you on an invite. You have to throw the set distance. So um, I, I was fine with that. I, I didn't have an issue. Um, I was It was very clear and that, that was told to me from 2015, so I knew what I had to do. So I'm always one of these people that if I know what I've got to do and they've told me what I've got to do and I don't do it and don't get selected, I can't complain and I can't moan and grumble about it. Um, so I went to I went to Amsterdam for the European champs. I'd been selected for that. I just won the British Olympic trials, just won British championships. So I was kind of... Then the the views on what they were going to select and I was told the, uh, the, the, the qualifying was on the Friday for the final, which was on the Sunday. And I was told on the Wednesday, actually we had an informal discussion. It was like, look, if you make final at European champs, you'll go to Rio. And I'm like, okay, I know what I need to do. So I turned up on the Friday... Um, finished fifth and qualifying qualified for the final and I'm like right I've never been to major championships before and I've suddenly made a final at European Champs so that was always in the back of my mind about going to Rio um, and I'd kind of had my heart set and I wasn't going so selection meeting was the Monday um, the phone calls were made on the Tuesday so I got a phone call I was sitting at Linwood um, before training I got a phone call and it was a guy Peter Stanley and I totally expected him to say you're not going um, so I said, hi, Peter, how's it going? And I think this is the phone call. Thing. He says, I'm, no, I'm obviously not going. And he said, uh, nah, you better clear your diary. He says, you're going to Rio. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I need, I, I've got my mates wedding, and I've got his stag dude. I've got everything else planned. I've got my holidays planned and everything. And, uh, and it's like, oh, fuck, I need to clear my diary for the Olympics. And it's a bit of a whirlwind because you get, um, this was on the, the Tuesday I got the phone call. And then on the Wednesday I had to go down to Birmingham for my kitten out process, which was uh, six hours. And you get 92 kilos worth of, of kit for going to the Olympics. So you get everything you can ever think of. Three-piece suit, training gear, competition gear, new trainers. Panasonic give you headphones. Beat give you headphones. Samsung give you a new phone. So it was all very, very different to me. But, um, yeah, I didn't really understand the process. And when I got to it, of was in that um, imposter syndrome. Didn't really know what I was doing there. Kind of had finished my season, I hadn't really planned for it, so really struggled with that. Um, but yeah, they're very two very, very different processes. One Commonwealth Games I was expected to go to, Olympic Games I wasn't expected to go to, so it was a big shock. But I've kind of overachieved in sport and went way beyond my dreams. So I'm hoping to kind of go and get new dreams and go further now. As, I must have
2: been see, just even to be at a Commonwealth Games in the Olymp- Olympics, it must have been just it must have been as you say, it's maybe the pinnacle, yeah, an athlete maybe I get them, because I don't, I don't know much about it but I know they're major competitions and I think to get to that it must be as you say, maybe something that you've been for a long time and you're saying you're over but maybe you're just maybe you're just really good at your sport Chris, and you've got it own merit so I take my hat off you because you've you've, worked, you've obviously worked hard for it um and I ain't. this is the thing
3: it's like it's you you look at it and you go there's only ever been 5000 people from great britain have been to an olympics now we live in a country of 60 odd million people now that is a um, really really small percentage of the, of the the country has been to it but there were two very very different competitions so being from glasgow being a celtic fan getting to walk out the celtic Park for the opening ceremony was fucking mental it was unbelievable going to rio where you go to the favelas and there's maybe like 100 people in the stands it's like it didn't feel the olympics it didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like the Olympics, it was 100 people like maybe i underestimating quite But, but the stadium was half empty when we were competing. When you, you turn up a hand and there's forty five thousand there and they're clapping warm up throws and you're just like, they have no clue what's going on, but they're just happy to be here. Mm-hmm. And it was it was mental. It was like it didn't feel the Olympics and that didn't really help me. But mm-hmm. it's the pinnacle of our sports, group. it's like the equivalent of a footballer going to a World Cup. Mm-hmm. There's like not many, especially in Scotland as well. You look at people, how many great footballers have we had in Scotland that haven't qualified for a major tournament? And I've equivalently done that at, at the Olympics. So, yeah, it's quite special. And when I look back, and I've got the vest, obviously, behind me, um, but when I look back in 10, 15 years' time, I think I'll appreciate it more, um, and rather than I should have lived in the moment a wee bit and took a wee bit of time when I was out there and just appreciated it.
2: No, but I, I don't know But It's very, well, obviously, Chris is saying you overachieved, but to have the experiences in sport... It's, it is something it is something as a bit of a, a big story to tell because, as Chris just mentioned, there it's still something that happens every day to a Scottish or a British Olympic athlete. No, it's an
0: incredible story. I'm really intrigued by listening to Chris. I think it's really, really, I'm just sitting here like somebody in the crowd just listening, and it's brilliant just to hear a different sport that I don't know too much about. I watch some Olympics. I watched I watched Glasgow at Commonwealth Games and I thought it was amazing just to see everybody at Celtic Park, Celtic Park lit up and it just as Chris says, It wasn't a dream come true to him was to play at Celtic Park, probably as a young boy, but to go and represent your country at Celtic Park is probably the next best thing. And i it's incredible. His stories are brilliant just to sit and listen to him. real must have been incredible being in Brazil. It's just um, where well, these jokes them and thing
3: It's one of the. It's the only place where the rich and the poor live side by side. Like you could, you, you, as an athlete, you're fortunate enough to see the really, really nice places. But the beauty of Brazil was you actually got to see the real Brazil. You drove past the favelas, like for instance, they gave us. Uh, we got a security briefing after we'd competed because basically athletes, athletes are are normal human beings. When we finish what we're doing we'll go to a party, we'll go have a couple of beers, we'll, we'll be normal once you've finished competing, not before you do your job. That's the, that's the the This was my big bug with Celtic, I spoke to earlier on. But they said to us, they said, um, don't go to Copacabana Beach. There was 400 sexual assaults last week at Copacabana Beach. And that's men, women and children. And you're like, holy shit. And then they said, oh, by the way, a, a rate of crime in Brazil that's actually um, reported is only 30%. And they went, so do the maths on how many there actually was. And I'm like, it. So they said, don't go into the favelas. Um the police drove into the favelas last night and got shot. So if they're shooting at the police, what the hell are they gonna do it to you? Like a random stranger and it was just it opened my eyes, but that was the beauty of the country. You got to see the real Brazil. You didn't see the Brazil that was glossed up because like it was it was evident in Glasgow's so Look how good Glasgow looked for the Commonwealth games. Now, was that a true reflection of what Glasgow is like on a day-to-day basis? No, because we want to show the good parts. So it was nice to actually see the proper parts of Brazil as well. And as an athlete, we don't see that often enough. We don't get to see what the real country is like. You spend your time at either a hotel, the athlete village, or an airport in the stadium, and that's all you get to see. So for us, it was really nice to see the, the proper side of it as well and the real eye-opener on what the poverty is like. And you look back at Brazil now, and a lot of the venues aren't used anymore. I went to the Maracanã, for instance, for the um, for the closing ceremony, which held the World Cup final two years previous, and then the next year it's got empty seats. People are nicking in the seats, so it. it's just a whole different ball game and a whole different experience. But one that I'm very thankful that I, I got to experience.
2: See how you're talking about obviously the Commonwealth Games, at uh, Olympics, um, kind abroad traveling that's for me something that I've always dreamed of living abroad. I've just loved going away and seeing new people, seeing new things, love the sun, obviously the sunshine. But see, traveling that must be that must be amazing. Just as you say, you're traveling everywhere, you're seeing different places, different people, different nightclubs, different just a total different outlook in life, and it must make you as well, Chris. Maybe more. i motivated, but. I bet me I'm over to actually keep doing and keep traveling and basically enjoying enjoying your sport and enjoying your life.
3: Well that's the thing, it's I'm, I'm in a very privileged position. I get to travel to different countries, to compete, to see different parts of the world, and I don't have to pay for it. It's my job. Mm-hmm. I get to experience I get to do it doing something I love. I'm very, very fortunate and this is where I got back to saying it. But the start of the pandemic, I couldn't moan because I'd lived a very privileged life up till I was thirty. I didn't really have to work full-time, I got to train full-time, I got to, to, to go and enjoy things, I got to travel to the UK doing my school visits, I got to go to, to Australia for six weeks for Commonwealth Games, I got to take my mum with me, she got the trip of a lifetime, so I'm very fortunate for the opportunities that I've been given, and, I'm, and, and I said this, I said it and I was doing it at the City Chambers, I'm just a kid for a council house that got mm-hmm. lucky, and that and that's what it is, it's like I like to think that if I can do it, and and it's, it's more my attitude as well, that there's there's always a way to do something and my mum's got this phrase that we always use we've never died a winter yet because you always and, and there has been struggles there's been times where I've not had enough money there's been times mm-hmm. where I've where I've I've had debts that I couldn't pay or I couldn't pay credit card bills but do you know what I've got through it the other side and I've enjoyed it and I've led a really good life up until now so if someone was to say that's it stopped I couldn't really complain I could just I'd, I'd go find another job and I'd go, I'd, I'd be upset yeah but I've had a good run at it and I'm very thankful for it and I'm very aware of it now more than ever that it can be taken away for you just like that. So I'm more thankful for what I appreciate now. And I, yeah, I want to get back to to the different countries. This, this is probably the longest I've been at home. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've only had two nights away from home in the past year. Usually during the summer, I'm, I'm away the whole time. And that's the great experience of it as well. But um, hopefully we can get back to a little bit more normality soon.
2: Cause I don't know, it's as what Chris is saying. How he's he's been a little privileged, and he's been traveling and obviously living in kind of good accommodation, get away and stuff. It's just, but the fact that he still he sounds you know, no, it sounds he is. He's very grounded. He's still about his his home life. He knows when he comes back, just normal Chris. But he is a normal guy. think as the people need to remember, Robert is that even football players, as soon as they leave that to England or they leave that stadium. They're still a human being, they're still normal guys. I don't think people might think they see eyes Street as an athlete, he's not going to talk to me. football player, not going to talk to me. But people need to realise that they are human beings and they have good feelings. They're the same people, just like me and you. It, just because yeah, that's their job, it doesn't mean that they're not the same as us. I don't want just to boy, hear that Christy's saying what up council estate
0: and a when they say it, support him and get him to where he is. and I feel the stories are always better than a kid that's probably been given everything and they make it And you know I mean I've always had their hand in life like you hear about some at youth level and I've heard stories about it they, they keep them on it quote, up to their kids probably get kept on and some good kids for housing schemes and stuff get let go. I'm not saying that happens all the time, but I've heard some kind of stories on their lines and it's just like either me and you, Ryan, coming for a housing scheme and going in doing well and just to hear Chris's story is just, it's like a dream come true. It's like a best-selling book with a happy ending. You know what I mean? It's great to hear and I'm, to go I mean, I'm and f- your country. Sorry, Chris.
3: I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm very fortunate where I've got mates that keep me grounded though so mm-hmm. I've got five or six people that I would call my very good mates and we have a long outstanding joke that I'm un- I'm, a- I'm actually unemployed they're like you don't have a job, you're unemployed, you just sit at the home all day and go to the gym and do a bit of training <laughs> but that's what keeps me grounded at the end of the day I don't think footballers and athletes have that in their life
1: mm-hmm.
3: people that keep them grounded because we, we, yeah. we blow smoke up their arse all the time and I hate people that blow smoke up my arse I hate people that congratulate me things. I hate people that, that are just like, oh, you're great, you're this, you're that. And I'm just like, no, I'm just me. And I do my sport and I'm good at it. And that doesn't make me better than anyone else. And it shouldn't make me better than anyone else. So I'm good at my job, which just so happens to be sport. Does that make me any better than an electrician that's good at his job? Or a plumber that's good at his job? Or... A, a school teacher that's good at their job, no doesn't make me any better, just because I'm good at sports just because I've been on the TV, just because I've got a blue tick on Twitter does not make me better than any other human being and it goes back to that thing where at the end of the day we're all human beings but we shouldn't be seen as what well. we're a sportsman, an athlete a a, a a school teacher a PE teacher, a basketball player anything like that, you're a human being at the end of the day and we, sh- we don't do that enough we need to treat people as human beings not He's a dick. I'm a dick. All that sort of malarkey. You know what
2: I mean? And social media, social media doesn't help that. Social media doesn't help that. But that's a whole different podcast. I definitely. Social media is totally, especially these days. A lot of things are happening. Um, But so obviously, you see you went a lot and obviously nights out and stuff like that. have you any kind of any kind of funny stories for nights out or just in general, favoring and in amongst different athletes and if there any other. Afterwards, we maybe know that you've been competing against or, can I, or you're still kind of powerful in, in, in the moment. I
3: cannot. I've had a, we've had the the nights out at the at the uh, after the Commie Games and the Olympics are, are always the best ones. I can, see, I, more, I can
2: see it your faces <laughs> of the <I think> entertaining. <laughs>
3: they were. Uh, so I uh, the probably the best one I had was was Rio, where um, they didn't really want us going out of the Olympic Village because they said it wasn't safe. So you know the big uh, lazy spa hot tubs you get? Mm -hmm. So they were using them as ice baths for the whole period of time. But on the last night, they emptied out the ice out and we filled them all with beer. So we were playing beer pong on there. We absolutely demolished this this hot tub and we're like, they can't do it, they can't do it again. They ended up filling it up again. Now bearing in mind that we didn't stop drinking until seven o'clock in the morning and we had to be out of rooms by eight o'clock the next night. So... Um, I uh, hadn't slept that much. We were flying home that night, and I wanted to get a good sleep on the, on the flight home. I thought, Do you know what, we'll, we'll take a week's sleeping tablet, right? So, took a sleeping tablet. No, this isn't working, this isn't is So, I took another one, which I should have done. I should have I thought, I'll take another one, I'll be fine. No, it wasn't And So, my mate had uh, diazepam for his back, so I took another one. And that was it. I, I don't remember taking off. And I woke up and I was fucking slab on the Four hours <laughs> into the flight, I didn't know where I was. I was like, what the fuck am I? Do you know when you've ever, you ever woke up after an night and you're like, the "Fuck, am I? Why am nah. I?" Doing, like somebody's random who's. I take to the last night. I says, "Where are we?" She's <laughs> like, we're four hours into the flight, So I went up, had a pee, had a seven up, went back to bed, and I f- slept the whole thirteen hour flight, and it completely fucked me up. But that was it was unbelievable that night. But after Gold Coast, I went on a week long bender. <laughs> just a week long because I, I wasn't happy with how I competed so I was t- still hiding away from the fact and it was I remember the closing ceremony in Gold Coast was the same night as we played the uh, Rangers in the semi-final at Hamden and we won them 4-0 beating them 4-0 sorry so I ended up going up with the BBC boys to watch in the game and f- full kill like full closing ceremony gear they like it was like Tom English I and mean, the guy that works for the BBC it's just one of those surreal experiences um, but you probably wouldn't know any athletes, sort of the athletes that Against, but I, I do a bit of work with a great run. Um, I do a lot of driving for them. So before I went to the Olympics, I had to take Mo Farah back to the airport, and I, I had a, a, a video that went viral with Mo Farah, of me, me and him singing Stormzy in the uh, in the car on the way to the, on the way to the airport. And Stormzy shared it on his Instagram, his Twitter. So I'm getting all these messages saying, "Oh, there's fat, there's Mo's fat roadman, there's Mo's white white, white roadman." And it's just like, I'm not ready for this. Like I just turned this off. So I was getting a bit of abuse for that, but. You get some good stories, and you see, you see the other side of people, and we are just not, but just normal human beings. It's just like letting their hair down, do you know what I mean? And that's what it's about. At the end of the day, the nights out are often the funniest part of it, but the competing side is the most important thing. And that was my big bugbear, especially in Celtic and Dubai. They did the the drinking first, and then the hard work after it. Which should be the hard work first, and then have a day off after that. That's the thing.
0: Yeah. Have you ever been starstruck, Chris, and
3: any celebrities or
0: sports personalities?
3: Persons that you've met, uh, Usain Bolt was probably the one I was starstruck by the most. So um, he was walking past me in the Olympic Village, and I was kind of like, "Oh shit, there's Bolt, there's Bolt!" Like, because like everybody stays in the Olympic Village, like every Ooh. athlete stays in the Olympic Village. So we had um, we had obviously Andy Murray on the team, we had Jamie Murray, we had like Danny Willett. So the first the first morning I got to um, to Rio, I had breakfast with the doctor. Doctor, it was head of um, Medical for BOA, so we sat there. I just, I don't mind if it's up, you know. so this guy's there's a guy sitting next to Nile, a doctor, sitting chatting away, and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I had no idea who it was. It was Mm -hmm. Danny Willett that just won the Masters, and I'm just like, why is he sitting at a table with me having breakfast? And it was I struggled to get on that level, Mm -hmm. and like Andy Murray was staying in the um, in our accommodation, just normal a little room with a bed, no airs or graces. The only people that didn't stay in the village were the American basketball team, right, who hired their own cruise ship and put it in the harbour at Rio. Which is a okay. different level. Different level. But, like, the Olympic Village is one of these things and it becomes it becomes normal once you've been to a couple of villages. You understand that there are just people walking about. But Bolt was the one I was just like, oh, man, because he he's doing personalised headphones with a world record on this side. He's still Puma gear. And you just, you, you stop. And even the athletes at the warm-up track were sitting watching him warm up. And I remember watching his... I watched these three races in Rio, and it was mental. When in, someone winning, like, one Olympic gold is amazing, but that guy won nine Olympic golds. And you just think, we'll never, ever see that again. So that's probably the one person I've been starstruck by. Um, but, like, growing up, it was Henrik Larson always starstruck me. Like, I just loved Henrik and That was the one that I wanted to be. I wanted the deadlocks. So I wanted to be able to stick my tongue out when I scored. And, like, growing up, I wanted to play up front and score up front. say said it with Henrik Larson. So um, yeah, like no one will ever beat beating him at last in my life. That's just the one, the one moment that topped it for me. So yeah, probably Larson and the ball of the two people I've been starstruck by. That's a very good
0: company. Um, when I was only a young apprentice um, painting, decorator, That's what I do. Chris, is a job, and we were working at Hamilton, um, Hamilton's Park, and they were building yep. a nursery under the main stand. So every Monday at 2 o'clock, without fail, Henrik Larson would turn up and go in and see the physio. So when I got on the job, the guy was a Rangers fan, he says to me, 2 o'clock, out there, Henrik Larson would turn up. I says, so you fucking will, and pigs can fly. <laughs> he went, right, I'll take you out at 2 o'clock, and we'll guarantee you. Takes me out at 2 o'clock. Watch this. Big Mercedes pulls into the drive, into the car park, out climbs Henrik Larson. He says, told you. So I'm running about with a headless chicken man with paint dripping off my ears with a bat of pen and paper. <laughs> Henrik Henry, Can you sign that? Can you sign that? So I Henrik comes there, signs up. cracking. Guy okay, says, eh, I've got a birthday card there for... Neroen. I've got a birthday card for a young boy. It's going to be his 18th. Can you sign that Henrik? It he says, I ain't a says He says... Eh, if you just sign there on the dotted line, that's you sign for Rangers Just they went, ha, no chance, and signed it. <laughs> Got the card and said you let and every Monday by he went into Hamilton's training, uh, Hamilton's park and seen the fizzle at two o'clock every Monday. Ah, but it, there's a good thing, I was it... saying, Why is that we painter the yeah, guy keep turning up and looking at me in my car? <laughs> 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 oh, that was I was starstruck again at <laughs> like your rock. That's crazy, and that just it's
2: that's still somebody you you'd expect to talk with. you're looking it. That is Larson outside. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know what you're But I uh, it, Chris, that's like you say with you saying Bolt and Larson, it's, even for me, I, I, if I see me guys, I've looked, well, obviously Larson's seen him playing, but Bolt, as you say, is how quick he was Like, see, obviously we watch it. Is it quicker actually watching it than it is on the telly? Is it just total flash of
3: lightning? Ah, it's quick. it it is quite like i think i think athletics is one of these sports that you can underappreciate by the camera angles until you actually see it in person Mm. and you see someone running 100 meters in under 10 seconds right under 10 seconds is world class when you see someone run it in nine and a half seconds you're like ah shit that's that and like you see it as well like how many people have you you know, in school, like oh, I used to be, a runner. I used to play football. I used to do this. I used to do that. And then you put them up on side, and, and you put them up on side someone, and you think that would be you running against Usain Bolt, and you're at fifty meters, and he's finished. That's the comparison. Like when you see it uh-huh. done in person, is one of those things that you just can't appreciate to say It's like throwing. A, when you see someone throwing a javelin the length of a football field. People are like, "Holy fuck, that is massive!" And you tell them it only weighs eight hundred grams and then you see you throw it, and they throw it 10 metres, and somebody else is throwing it 90 metres. Yeah. Like, it's uh, it's underappreciated as a sport, and it gives you that that sense of appreciation. And I think that was one good thing that, when I, worked with, I still worked with Great Running, they took the Great City Games, and they had it in Manchester. So the first year they had it, they had Usain Bolt running down the main street in Manchester, and it gave people that first chance to actually see sport live, in the flesh, running down Deansgate, and people just couldn't comprehend it. And it's a whole different way of life for those people as well. Um yeah, it's, it makes you appreciate it more when you see it in person. You see it done well. Actually, It's something I've never actually seen as a live athletics. It's probably something
2: I'd like to see because even just speaking to you, you now, I'd like to see it live because watching on the telly, you're like, well, that's amazing. But actually, watching it in person, it's the same as it's the same with a football game. You watch on the telly, yeah, that right, atmosphere looks good, he looks good, but then you go and see somebody, even like, I don't know what Robert's, Robert's opinion on but when, that, when we see guys like Edward, Scott Brown at his peak, you're thinking, fuck, these guys are fucking really, really good. But then when they go and play against the top players, you're like, "Fuck, they I don't know, really. But, uh, but when you go to these games, because I've, I've always had, see, since the game against PSG when they beat us 5 1 at home, right? The guy, Rabio, Verratti, and Cavani were. Well, Unbelievable. I've never seen guys like that play football, but for me, as a striker, when I play football as a striker, she just watching Cavani, his movement is. is but you, see, when you, you need to be in the flesh to see that and actually take in the game. Guys who don't, guys just turn and watch They won't take in that. They won't see yeah. that experience. And it shows you how it is. Like maybe Obviously, yourself, you're at the top level of your, of your sport. For them, Cavani, Rabo, Verratti, to get to that level, compared to Scott Brown and the guys like Edward, you're like, wait a minute, that's, that's different, that's different gravy.
3: The one that I first noticed it with was, uh, when Pirlo played for Juventus and they beat us 3-0 at home, the guy stood in front of the, uh, the 18-yard box pretty much the whole game and dictated everything that went on. He was playing passes left, right and centre, putting them on six fences and you're just like, holy fuck, how can you, like we, we would have seen like Ledley at that time, Ledley, Kayal, Brown would have been in the team and we'd appreciate that oh, they're amazing. When you when they come up against Justin Johnson, just a that's what they look like. But you take it up that level and you see it in the flesh, you're like, oh, it was like Balotelli was another one. I see Balatelli at Parkhead, and he was unbelievable. Like and that this is a guy who you would not consider as a mm. genuinely top of the game world class. It's just that different level. So and that night sticks with the PSG night sticks with me uh, quite a lot because there was a moment kind of mid, midway through the first half. Where they played out their box and Celtic were pressing them hard, hard in the box. And it was Silva, Marquinhos, and I think it was Kazawa that was playing left back. And the two of them will just the three of them were just playing wee five-yard passes. And it was like 40 seconds they were in the box. Next minute they're up the part and they score. And that's just the different levels. And you get to appreciate that more and more when you start to watch sport. Isn't it Robert? That's a game, I know I've said it on you before that I know we get beat, but
2: fair football fan and giant loves football. and, New, because obviously I'm, I'm not playing football anymore. I'm watching games from a uh, kind of coaching perspective. Now you, you do appreciate as much as we don't want to get beat, uh, uh heavily in these games. You kind of, you kind of, partly are going to see these guys play because you might never see them again. Guys like your name, are, are, people might slot on MRE, but the guys world class. I appreciate you seeing the guys, even at Celtic Park, to see the guys at that level close up. It, show, it, it
0: is really what football is. with what football is all about. It's, there's a few There's ones I've stood out, Obviously your main names But There's a boy who played with Bruce I mentioned Gladbach When He beat us 2-0 at the park, In the middle of the park And he really impressed me Because I, I, I get You've got your Kakas Your rabiots, Your Pirlos Early years Fantastic players But you expect To have them If you get me The boys stand In the middle of the park For Bruce I mentioned Gladbach I knew he was a good player but I didn't realise how good he was and he dictated that game when they beat us 2-0 at Celtic Park and I thought wow he's really really good he's better than I thought and I can't remember the name of the boy from Valencia that played in the middle of the park he Parejo. was another one. he was Parejo. a good player what was his name Chris?
3: Parejo mm-hmm.
0: uh, Parejo Parejo whatever the boy's name and they're two boys that I knew were good players but when I seen them in the flesh, they were really good. They were better than I ever really knew. You know, they play with good teams, you know, they're good players, but I expect that I have Pierlo, Kaka, and stuff. And that's two guys at good teams, but I didn't realise how good they were and how they moved the ball with so much ease. And they say, I'm not saying they're as good as Kaka and Pierlo and that, but they reminded me of so much them, And it just shows you how talented these guys really are. Because you think, We've got a chance against teams like that, till you see that type of player, and you go, "Wow, they should be playing at a better level." In my eyes, that's when you look at them, you go, "They're really, really good." You know what I mean? That was just too very stood out to me that I didn't know much really about till I seen them kind of close up and how good they actually were. Uh, it's, it's as Chris says. It's yeah, they appreciate them, love up the guys as much as you want to win the game, but.
2: If you get beat and you've seen the guys play football part of the like I've just seen world-class players there. Obviously, I'm not happy with the teams get beat, but it's fair to ourselves that Celtic can beat at that level. I I know other teams like Zag and Salzburg have done it, but we've got to be kind of realistic. Some fans need to be realistic that we just need to try and compete when we can. But obviously, Chris, as you've mentioned, uh, amazing career with athletics, obviously I'm a big Celtic fan. Um Growing up, is there, you can have many more games that you can remember. And obviously, who was your idol growing up to a Celtic fan?
3: My uh, my first game, we got beat in the Cup semi-final at Ibrox. I think, I'm sure it was, was it Wraith Rovers in the Cup? In 95, 95, we got beat. 94, 95, we got beat after Wraith in the final. Uh, in the final, was it the semi-final at uh, Ibrox? Final, that was the
0: final.
3: Well, there you we go, that was my you get penalties. Paul McS2, missed a penalty. That was my first game, and uh, and we we kind of sporadically went to games after that. Um, but like my first proper memory of a game at Celtic Park was uh, the game we stopped at ten. Um, and quite ironic that we're speaking about this now. So, um, that was kind of my first proper memory of being at Celtic Park. Uh, after that we got a season ticket, but then I've said this before. I was really interested in the football. My mum just took me and to kept me busy. More interested in the food at half time, and I was always concerned about getting my hot dog at half time, so <laughs> I was really, really concerned with the football. And then I kind of did we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so it was my mum was like, Well, if you're not going to football, I mean, you're not going to watch your football, they were are no gone. That's it, we'll keep up the books. So we gave up the books, and, and it's now the standing section. We say, we, we sat just yeah. just up with this standing section, is, and then um, I'd go to the odd game here and there when I had time, but it was. 2016, 2015, 2016, 2016. It was when I when I got my season book again, and um, I decided that year. I says, I I got a bit of money. I was like, do you know what, I'm going to get a season ticket, and um, I thought we were going to get Davy Moyes in as the manager, and I thought, do you know what, he'll bring some good football. We'll do that, and I was quite happy with it. But we ended up getting Brendan Rodgers in, so I took my took my book and I sat in FS6 in the main stand, and people could see, oh, it's Porsche, It's sitting the main stand. It's, it's great. I would I. I Happily day and I only go myself. I don't go my mom. I don't go mm. my dad. I just I don't, my dad's not but he was nearly into football. I just go myself because I wanted the distraction away from sport. And I needed that distraction, and it was quite funny. The first couple of times when I went, the boys all around me, and I, I, we're in a group chat with them now. They were just kind of they were dead quiet, and they spoke a wee bit about it. And it was we were playing um, Halfway Belshieber in the qualifier, right? And uh, the boys said to me, says, oh, are you coming next week to Belshieber again?" Like, ah, "No, no, I'm going to I'm going to Rio." Are we going to Rio for us? Well, I'm going to Olympics. I, 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 I need, no, oh, no, no, cool, no worries. So, I remember mean, I was watching the Basheva game in in the village and in, in, uh, in Rio, and I came back to the next game and they were like, that. oh, you really were at the Olympics, then, were you?" And I meant, "Aye, I'm not going to sit and turn with the bullshit you and say I was away to Rio just way to volunteer or whatnot or what." So it was quite funny. So I got a good relationship with that. And football was always a distraction for me. It's always just a case of I can go for ninety minutes. I can't influence the result. I can sit and watch it. And that's it. Like, you know, I, I go away, the result's done, I can't influence it, it was a good release for me. Um, and I've been fortunate through other lines of work But I've got to go away with Celtic in Europe. We organise, um, the company I work for, organise away fan charters for, for the European game. So um, I get to work with them, I get paid to go to them, paid to watch the game and I'm up the road. So it's, it's great. Um, so last time I was away was Copenhagen away for home, but it was quite funny because the company I work for got the contract and they said, uh, we've got the contract for Celtic Doing what? And they said, Oh, uh, the European away games. I said, oh, What are you doing? Said, so we're doing the fan travel. I was like, How'd I get to go? I was like, Just bump me up the queue. I said, like, I'll pay as a punter, but just let me go. I just want to go just to experience that. He says, oh, Come work it for us, come work it for us. And I'm like, oh, Aye, nah, you're both cool. So this was two weeks before we went to Brussels. And uh, they phoned me up a couple of days before it. He says, You still want to go to Brussels? I says, Aye, aye I'll go. Right, go and go to the Airport, half four in the morning. Uh, you'll get a ticket to the game. You'll get your hundred quid for gone, all your expenses paid. And I'm like, I have not a fucking scrupy what I'm doing. I don't really know. Oh, you still there? Ah, I'm still hear, mate, aye? I think my phone's just run out of battery. That's <laughs> <laughs> ah, sorry, mate. That's it That's How's Then Just give me a minute to come
0: back
2: on. Ah, but as I said, I don't know, but it's brilliant just hearing... Different stories for obviously he's for, for a different kind of sport for what we are obviously talking about in football. So, just he has stories for going to the Olympics and everything else. It's brilliant to hear the, and as you said, it's refreshing to hear how he's
0: he's working hard at that and then still living a normal life. It's it's see when you think about it, Ryan. He's a guy for a housing scheme just like ourselves, and then he's in the middle of Rio and a village with us saying boat. They're one of the most iconic guys in the world of athletes and world sport. Can you imagine just like being a wee guy for a housing scheme and being on the TV and getting to see Andy Murray, a guy that's won Wimbledon and probably sitting just five, six seats away eating your breakfast. The guys that you probably no look up to, but you go, Wow, they're the principal of sport and they're the top athletes and a wee guy for housing scheme sitting next to them and having breakfast and competing at the same tournament and people actually being fans of him the radio and stuff like that. It must be I don't have never been like that but on yourself, but it must be a pure dream come true type of thing.
2: Oh definitely, mate. It's it's as it is a bit surreal, isn't it? When you mentioned Paul and you mentioned all the guys who's Danny Wallett at, sitting at the table. It's and- It's definitely things that obviously probably Chris wouldn't have imagined and he's actually
0: went and done it. Aye, no, definitely. It's incredible, but it's one of the things in it. It's great to hear these stories because it's probably stories that nobody else has ever heard before. So it's just great to hear. I'm quite chilled sitting back listening to these stories because it's something I would have never not, um, just like going to Rio as he says you can't get out because the crime rate just outside where they're participating in is through the roof and the police even under danger I mean that's something that watching on the TV you would never know
2: No it's it's, it's, it's crazy when he talks about obviously the, the ends and roots of Rio and what happens in the good life and in the bad life and just for him to can I, he's probably experienced that and went oh, wait a minute here it's about a different entity. Um, but again, I, it's just probably having guys of that own here. And as you say, I'm kind of just sitting here listening. It's actually good to listen to somebody that's telling you the experiences because you kind of, as obviously when you speak about mental health stuff, you kind like, of connect to it and you're thinking, right, you're relaxed, you're listening it and you're thinking,
0: it's probably just to listen to the guys. Oh, definitely. As you says, he's got to take his mum to... Australia for six weeks and watch him competing in um, the Gold Coast and it's just great to, as you say, it's just to hear these stories and to get paid to go and do that. I mean, you would if somebody asked you to go and do that, the you'd be like, "Right, I'll go and do it." But he's getting paid to do it and he enjoys it, so it was good how he found his way the Olympics um, and hammer throwing through probably the fault of trying
2: everything and mm-hmm. then sometimes they're just meant to be you know what I mean As I say, well, eventually we'll get him back on because I think he was about to talk about the Dubai stuff and obviously his feelings about that season but again we're all getting back on because I think he's very interested in coming back on and telling his story about Celtic more but um, that's episode with Chris Bennett um, the hammer thrower, Olympian Chalice and Commonwealth Games um, meanwhile we will be a patient. a came on Robert, thanks for your time mate and it's been good to kind of hear some stories for yourself as well that I've not heard before um, but again, it's, it's just things we need to kind of hopefully with the mental health side, we keep progressing with it and again, Robert, I think it's something that hopefully gets spoken about even more especially during this pandemic was happening Definitely Ryan, it's, it's good to just hear Chris's
0: stories and I just feel I have to share my particular time, it brought back memories of just how everybody in life, and we all we're all affected by it. Um, Mental health, deaths in families, COVID. It's just for me, I feel now I'm mentally stronger through bad experiences in life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel every day is a learning day, and I just feel things like that. You can just try and improve yourself and get better as days go on Aye, you have your tough days but always feel like at the end of every tunnel you've just got to strive if anybody's suffering from mental health just always remember every day is a brand new day it's a new start it's like getting a start button every single day every day changes no every day is the same you could be a sad one day you could have 20 good days just always remember the next day is always a new opportunity
2: no I'll spot on mate definitely Um it's something I think I'll probably touch it on there, um, as we go along in the weeks and months along because it's something that I think needs to be highlighted. Um, and your, like yourself and Chris, he's kind of been through it a bit yourself, so he's no know, people need to speak and people need to kind of need to be about help. I think people need to realize that. Um, but again, Robert, I appreciate you and Chris and one, mate, very, very touching some of the topics. But that's us this week in this episode. Again, Robert, thanks for your help and Chris. Thanks, all mate. Yeah.
1: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We can't deny the need to fly. Sometimes she just feels the